Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the 488th show of ROI. Our guest for today's show is Dr. Katie Mack, Hawking Chair and Cosmology and Science Communication at the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics, who is going to talk to us about her book, The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. Joining us for the second segment of the show are our history buffs, Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. To begin with the show, we'd like to welcome Dr. Katie Mack. How are you doing, Dr. Katie? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. This is the first segment of the show, which we refer to as Fadrok de Nauren. And our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. Um, so can you start us off with some basic information on how ways science has thought about the end of the universe? And um, this is a you know a 30-minute show, so I'm sure you're going to have to cut out a lot. No, <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> okay. Well, so, I mean, scientists have, have always wondered about the beginning of the universe and the end of the universe. And... Since we've been able to really study cosmology, that's the study of the universe from beginning to end, the largest and smallest scales, uh, we've had ways to see the, the way that the universe has been evolving over time, and we've been able to think about how it might evolve in the future. And the most obvious thing about the evolution of the universe that we know from observations is that the universe is expanding, which means that galaxies are getting farther apart from each other. Everything everything seems to be moving away from us, but that's just because there's more empty space in every direction. And so it's been a big question over the years, will the expansion continue forever? Will it stop? Will it turn around? <laughs> will everything come crashing back together? And um, that's uh, some of the stuff that I explore in my book is this question of, of what will happen in the future. If, if we know that the universe started small and hot and dense in what we call a big bang, um, and it's been expanding ever since, what's going to happen in the far future? How is that going to continue or not? And what will the ultimate fate of reality be? Okay. So with this kind of topic, as you said, that's been going on since day one, um, mm-hmm. obviously you wrote your book and then of course the James Webb telescope is up there and it's providing mm-hmm. us information that is totally unimaginable in some ways incomprehensible um Mm -hmm. has this made kind of any quick shifts or has it altered any theories or are people waiting till more results come in to sit there and possibly uh reflect on this information well there's still there's still a lot that we're waiting for with um the results of jwst um we have been able to see some very, very distant galaxies, which means that we're looking far, far back into the, into time, into the early stages of the universe. Because when we look at really distant things, we're looking at the past because the light from those things has taken time to travel to us. So we've seen some galaxies just with the first few images from JWST that are so many billions of light years away that we think that they existed within the first few hundred million years of the universe. Now, our universe is currently about 13.8 billion years old, so we're seeing some of the first galaxies. But that in itself doesn't change our understanding of how the universe evolved and how it will evolve. That's just uh, we're learning a little bit about how those first galaxies might have looked and what, what 
you know how they formed potentially but um what we what, what we learn about the evolution of the universe um that we we get from all of the data that we have so we have uh, surveys of many many galaxies uh we have uh surveys that show us distant supernovae so when stars explode very far away that gives us information about how the universe has been expanding and evolving over time so there's a lot of, of uh, data out there that we're working with. JWST will give us some really inform- interesting information and might give us some insights into things like dark matter and dark energy, which are these invisible components of the universe that seem very, very important to the evolution of the cosmos. But so far, it hasn't really changed our, our basic understanding of the picture where you know the universe started very hot and dense, it's been expanding. And we think it will continue to expand forever and uh, eventually kind of fade away. But there are other possibilities, and we're still kind of examining those. Okay, could you say that, you know, the end of everything, are there some theories of how Mm -hmm. um, what we know as the universe and our existence is going to uh, uh, come about? Yeah, well, so there's there are five that I go through in the book. One is called the Big Crunch, which is this idea that everything that's currently expanding away from us will eventually come back, and uh, the universe will get, become hotter and denser again in the future. We think that's probably not going to happen, although that was the favorite idea back in the 60s. The most likely, as far as we know, is something called the heat death, which is just where the universe continues expanding forever gets uh, more and more empty, darker and colder as everything gets farther and farther apart. And eventually everything kind of just dies and fades away. Um, That's uh, also sometimes called the big freeze. And that seems to be the direction we're probably going. But there are other possibilities, like one where this mysterious dark energy that's making the universe expand faster, where that gets a little bit violent and starts kind of pulling apart galaxies and stars and, and eventually rips the universe apart. Also not very likely, I think, but uh, it's something that, that's been discussed. And then there are some even weirder ones that have to do with uh, strange things that could go on with particle physics or different ideas about the beginning of the universe. And uh, I can go into those if there's time. But um, th- those, those ones are kind of the main ideas. Okay. Well, um, we have a lot to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on station KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. If you are wondering how to find out where locals love to go, there's a website called localsloveus.com. Or you can pick up a Locals Love Us guide around town as well. Localsloveus.com. Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history can be examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. This is our 488th show, and our guest for today is Dr. Katie Mack, Hawking's Chair of Cosmology and Science Communication at the Perimeter Institute of Theoretical Physics, who will be talking to us about her book, The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. The history buffs of today's show are Brett Menard and Terry Toppler. Terry, why don't you start us off? Okay, thank you. First, uh, Katie, I just want to tell you I loved your book. It was humorous and and engaging, and it made me feel that actually maybe I could understand some of this. Maybe. Excellent, but, excellent. That was the goal. <laughs> yes. And I loved, of course, the Star Trek reference. That really got me hooked. <laughs> so uh, awesome. tell me a little bit about when you talked about the problem of gravity, uh, that gravity mm. just doesn't seem to play fair when it 
comes to wanting a theory of everything. Can you talk about that, please? Sure, yeah. So there are a number of things that we call fundamental forces in physics. So uh, gravity is a fundamental force. It's, it's a force that acts on things in the universe. There's also electromagnetism. So that's, you know, electricity, magnetism, that's um, something that we use every day. There are also some more obscure forces. There's the strong nuclear force, which is the force that holds particles together in the centers of atoms and the nuclei of atoms. And there's the weak nuclear force, and that has to do with things like radioactive decay. So these are like the forces of nature. These are, are the fundamental things that act upon stuff in the universe. And we have this uh, this idea that, that at some level, they should all be kind of some aspect of the same force. And, and we, we get to that by saying, well, you know, uh, electricity and magnetism seem like different forces to us, but actually when you deal with things like electromagnets or, or uh, generators, you, you find that they are aspects of the same force. And we can actually do the same thing with the weak nuclear force and electromagnetism. When we do experiments with very, very high energies, so smashing particles together, we can see that at high energies and in certain environments, in certain high energy environments, electricity and magnetism and the weak nuclear force are all aspects of the same force. It's a kind of uni unification. Um, and it turns out that, that there are there are theories that also bring the strong nuclear force into that. And so there's this way that you can kind of envision putting together at certain kinds of energy states, all of those forces, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, and electromagnetism, to be aspects of the same thing that just kind of look different at, at the low energy universe that we deal with every day. But we haven't been able to do that with gravity. We haven't been able to get gravity to kind of sit into that picture in a way that really makes sense to us. Um, and so there, there are lots of ideas about this. I mean, essentially what it, what it appears is that gravity is just too weak. All the other forces are really strong in, in the context of the, the kind of particle world. And, um, and gravity is, is really weak. And it seems to just not fit into the, into the, the pattern that we think it should. And there are lots of ideas about why that is, and some of them have to do with the idea that maybe gravity is sort of leaking out into another dimension, and then, then you'll be able to bring the forces together. So there's some interesting ideas that come out of um, trying to trying to put everything into a theory of everything where where all of the forces would be kind of aspects of the same thing. Brett. So we've been getting a lot of new information um, from – uh, the most recent uh, space telescope. What mm -hmm. other lesser known um, projects uh, are we getting new information and new data from that's changing our uh, understanding of the universe? Well, there, there are, of course, a lot of other telescopes that are teaching things about things, you know, out in the, in the cosmos, galaxies, and so on. Um, there's also particle physics experiments that are telling us about the fundamental forces and about how uh, physics works in our, in our universe, how the subatomic world works. And, and those are surprisingly related. So when we learn things about the very distant universe, when we learn things about, you know, the evolution of the cosmos, that can tell us things about the beginning of the universe. And then we, when we do particle experiments here on Earth, that can also tell us things about the beginning of the universe because we think that the early universe was a very hot and dense environment and as I mentioned before, physics kind of changes in those hot, dense environments. And so when we 
when we use experiments that look at the, the, the leftover light from the Big Bang called the cosmic microwave background, that can tell us something about the beginning of the universe. And then also when we smash particles together and create those high energy conditions, that can tell us about the beginning of the universe too. And so then we could use that to, to learn about the evolution of the cosmos as a whole. So there are um, observations of the cosmic microwave background, this background light from the Big Bang, and there telescopes like the Planck uh, experiment that was a space telescope that observed the cosmic microwave background and taught us a huge amount about the early universe. And then we have experiments on Earth like the Large Hadron Collider um, uh, that's, uh, that's smashing protons together in Europe and telling us about how particle physics works at extreme in extreme conditions. And that gave us things like the Higgs boson, this particle that has to do with uh, how particles got massed in the early universe. And that's kind of fitting together the standard model of particle physics for us, this this kind of big picture idea of how all of the subatomic world works. But now there are new experiments that are kind of challenging some of those things in the standard model, and that's also really exciting. So there are experiments that have to do with um, uh, the ways that particles interact with each other in other environments that might be giving us hints about how we might need to change the standard model of particle physics that we've been working with. And, and that might push us toward understanding things like how gravity fits into the big picture. So there's a lot of exciting, slightly obscure stuff going on in particle physics, but it's, it's giving us really interesting and important information about the fundamental workings of the universe. Okay, go back to the uh, five ways that you um, are putting your Vegas odds that the uh, universe is going to end. And you said, mm -hmm. like, one was the big crunch, and you thought it was really, that was where everybody was laying the odds in the 60s, and now they've pulled mm -hmm. away from it. And I ask, what was it that changed uh, people's um, understanding and uh, belief that this was the way it was all going to end? Yeah, that's a great question. So what happened was we started to be able to see the expansion of the universe more carefully and figure out uh, that the expansion of the universe was speeding up. So when we first set out to study the expansion of the universe in the 1990s to really measure how quickly the universe was expanding, the idea was that we would measure the expansion rate over time by looking at distant objects and seeing how the expansion rate has been changing and we would find that it's slowing down, but we would figure out exactly how quickly it was slowing down. The idea there is that the Big Bang was this sort of big, violent time, and the expansion was very, very fast in the beginning, but then it's been slowing ever since, because just because all of the stuff in the universe is kind of pulling on all the other stuff in the universe. All the galaxies have gravitational attraction, and they're slowing the expansion of the cosmos. And we figured that that had to be what was happening, because we know that gravity is attractive, and there's all this stuff, and so... That should be what's going on for the same reason that if you throw a ball in the air, you know, you've given it some initial push. But then after that, gravity is pulling on the ball and that slows it down and then eventually it'll fall. So we thought maybe, you know, maybe the universe is like that. You know, the, 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 the uh, gravity is going to slow it down enough that it'll reverse the expansion. Or maybe the Big Bang was so powerful that it'll always continue expanding, but it'll be slowing down the whole time. Kind of like if you throw a ball in the air so fast that it, it escapes the Earth, you know, it goes right, right up into the sky, but it would always be slowing down a little bit because it feels the gravitational pull of the Earth. Now, when we actually got really good measurements in the late 1990s, we found something really surprising, which is that the expansion was slowing down for a long time, but then in the 
last few billion years, it started to speed up. And that was not expected at all. We didn't have any explanation for it at the time. Um, and since then, we've found lots of other ways to confirm that this is in fact happening, that the universe is speeding up in its expansion. And, um, you know, that's kind of like if you throw a ball in the air and it's slowing down for a little while and then it just shoots off into space. Um, you figure something must have, you know, there must have been a big wind that came that blew up <laughs> on it or something. Um, and so we hypothesized that there's something in the universe that we call dark energy that is making the universe expand faster. Now, we don't know what dark energy is. We have a bunch of ideas for it. But something is making the universe expand faster. And because the universe is, is expanding faster and faster, we don't think it's going to stop and, and recollapse anymore. We think probably it'll continue expanding forever. Okay. Terry. Yeah, Katie, I'd like to talk about more from why we were so compelled to understand how the universe is going to end. Because mm. are we looking at from the lens of our legacy as humans, and that our legacy yeah. perhaps is confined to matter? I mean, is mm. are we limiting ourselves? <laughs> uh, you know, I think that I think it's it's a fundamental aspect of humanity that we have curiosity about the future and about our fate. You know, um, when you when you read a story, you want to know how it ends, what happens mm -hmm. to all the characters, and it's. It's more satisfying if there's some conclusion where, where you can rest assured that, you know, everybody lived happily ever after or or even just, you know, everybody died. But you have some conclusion, you have some, you have, you have some way of knowing what, what, what's going to happen. Um, and it's very frustrating not to know. If you were reading a novel and somebody took it away from you halfway through, you'd be, you'd be upset. Um, and I think that we have the same feeling about, you know, our fate in the universe. We just want to know what's going to happen next. And, and part of that, I think, is that we want a, a complete story of reality. You know, we want to know how we fit into this, uh, this universe, how we fit into the story of the cosmos, what's going to happen. That's all part of just kind of figuring out how to place ourselves. So I think it's I think it's largely just that curiosity, and I think that there is an aspect of legacy of trying to know, trying to figure out like what it all means, you know. And and we have this feeling that maybe maybe if we knew how it would end, that would be that would tell us something about what it means, or or maybe there's some way that we continue into the future, and and that's something that's important to us. And at the moment, you know, it it looks like probably at some point we don't continue into the future, and so that's. That's a very confronting idea that, that our legacy will at some point end just because all of reality will <laughs> at some point end. So uh, I think that's one of the things that makes this topic so compelling is this idea that it really, it really is challenging uh, some notion of, of what we feel like should be our continuity into the future. Okay. Brett. So one of the things i've found with students i teach who get interested in astrophysics is mm -hmm. they become either completely overwhelmed with the vastness mm -hmm. of a scale yeah. that you're dealing with or they become comforted that a lot of the mm -hmm. stuff that they're stressing out about in their life they don't have to worry about because they they use the sense of scale of the universe um, right. to put things in that perspective. Where do you find yourself on that scale? Um, I think that I think that I'm I'm more on the latter side of that, but I do occasionally have 
that feeling of, of what people sometimes refer to as cosmic vertigo, you know, that, that feeling that, you know, oh, my God, it's just so big. <laughs> you know, it's so vast. It's overwhelming, um, especially when I think about things like, you know, big changes that the universe went through. Like at the very beginning of the universe, there was a we, we think that there was a period of, of what we call cosmic inflation where the universe expanded very, very rapidly. And we don't know why that happened. We don't know why it started. We don't know why it ended. Uh, we have reason to believe that it did occur, but it was something that, that fundamentally and drastically changed the nature of the cosmos. And it's a little bit it's a little bit confronting to think, you know, we don't know why that started. We don't want to know why it ended. We don't have any particularly good reason to to say that it, something like it can't happen again, or or even just you know an asteroid slamming into the Earth. You know, there's a lot of things that could happen to the cosmos that have happened in the past that we don't have any reason to think are completely impossible. And so thinking about that um, can be unsettling you know, to, to feel that powerless um, in the face of something much bigger and more uh, significant than, than yourself. But I think that, that really what it does for me is it, it highlights that, you know, everything is a little bit, you know, fragile. Everything's a little contingent. Everything in my life has some element of chance, some element of luck. You know, when I ride my bike home tonight, there could be, you know, a car that comes out and, and runs me over. I mean, stuff like that could happen, right? Um, so it's a, it's kind of it's a useful thing, I think, to occasionally step back and realize that that there is a lot of chance in in life, and that we don't have complete control over things that happen in our environment. Um, and, you know, we have to kind of be at peace with that and try and appreciate what we have while we have it, including the universe. Um, along those arguments, kind of what Brett was going through from a historical perspective, every culture mm -hmm. or nearly every culture, uh, ancient or modern, has always had mm -hmm. the internal mental um intellectual struggle with how our world is going to end uh yeah. i remember in the 19th century you had you know the uh evangelicals in certain parts of our nation saying that on this date at this time god was going to destroy everything and then when they woke up the next day and things were still there they set it off to another date um uh. from a from a now obviously that is historical past and a different subject but from a, mm -hmm. a scientific perspective kind of along with brett is saying how do you mm -hmm. i mean it is a big place with a ton of threats how do you instruct mm -hmm. to kids or people that you know what this, it's a lot to do with luck <laughs> Um, I mean, so I, I try not to I try not to scare kids with um, <laughs> with some of these topics. I think that you know when I when I give a talk about the end of the universe, if I see children in the audience, I get a little bit nervous. So sometimes kids do have trouble with. with I was talking more physics physics students, but okay, you can go there. Okay, okay. physics <laughs> students, yeah. Okay. No, so physics with physics students, yeah. I mean, it's um, so that's different. I mean, what what I what I would say is that what we're doing in cosmology is that we're taking the evidence that we see from um, astrophysical data, from ex particle experiments, and we're we're doing the we're making the best sort of physical model we can with that data. So we're we're trying to build some kind of physical or mathematical model that that fits the data as well as it can, and you know hopefully gives us some insights hopefully is a useful model that can, you know, explain what we see and potentially predict things that we haven't yet observed. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that 
that we're finding ultimate truth. You know, we hope that we're getting closer to ultimate truth. We hope that, I mean, that's the whole purpose of science is to be a way to to discover um, what's real and, and how the universe works. But um, But fundamentally what we're doing is we're trying to kind of approximate what we see with some kind of framework, some kind of mathematical or physical framework that that gives us some kind of context, some kind of, um, you know, big picture. And so when we do that with cosmology, we get this picture that the universe had a beginning, that it's been changing over time, and that it will continue changing into the future into something that is less habitable than the current universe is. Um, and and that's just that's what the the data tells us right now, or that's that's how the mathematical models work out that best fit the data. We don't know that that won't change. You know, some of the some of the elements of of this picture are very unknown. Um, there are there are things that could could drastically change our understanding of the future of the universe. But um, based on the kind of fundamental physical, you know, laws that we think we understand. It seems like probably the universe will change in the future, that it is evolving and it is turning into something different and something that is less sort of less uh, um, amenable to the continued existence of life. That's what it looks like. Um, but again, you know, there's, there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we're still learning. And, um, and there are a lot of possibilities for what things might look like in the future. Okay. It is customary that we give our guests the last word on the show. Um, Katie, in about uh, two minutes, uh, why do you think Uh knowing about the ways the universe could end is relevant in today's world? Well, I think that, um, again, it comes down to that question of curiosity. I think that we are a curious species. We are people who want to understand our context. We want to understand the world around us. Um, And there are aspects of fundamental physics that are tied up in questions of the beginning and the end of the universe. And so as we study fundamental physics and as we study the evolution of the cosmos, we learn a lot of really important things about how the universe works. And some of those things might be useful in the future in the same way that, you know, Einstein studying gravity back in the early 1900s eventually became useful for things like GPS. Um, We don't know the applications of the fundamental physics we're doing right now, Someday it might become really, really important. It might give us uh, amazing insights that, that lead to fantastic new technologies. Or it might just be something that is part of, uh, you know, what it means to be human, that we want to understand things and we are going to try to understand things. So I think, you know, for the, the person on the street, the, the reason to, to be curious about the end of the universe is that people are curious about the universe. And um, and so, you know, if, if you want to know about that, if you want to know about the universe you, we live in, then reading books like mine might might scratch that itch <laughs> to some okay. degree. But if you want, but um, yeah, and there are other applications potentially, maybe in the future. Okay. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. 
ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 488th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Dr. Katie Mack, Hawking Chair of Cosmology and Science Communication at the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics, who has talked to us about her book, The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. The history bus for today's show are Brett Bernard and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.